Well, hello once again. Long time no see. Good to be up here with y'all. Um, <clears throat> once again, my name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, what an amazing opportunity. I'm so glad that y'all were here today. It is so great to celebrate baptism and um, just feel the Spirit in the room as the Holy Spirit is just moving among us. Uh, yeah, continue to pray for Zechariah um, and pray for more, right? Uh, if you've been around for a few months, uh, probably maybe six or seven months, you know that uh, at some point I said, hey, let's pray for more baptisms. And we long to see more baptisms here. And, uh, and since that time, we've uh, had, I believe, four people baptized. So continue to pray for that. We want more. We want more. Uh, we want to continue to celebrate what God is doing in and among us. Um, if you happen to be a guest, welcome. This was a great day to join us. <laughs> Uh, I want to make sure that on the way out, if you didn't receive it on the way in, you get one of our welcome uh, bags, so uh, make sure you grab one on the way out. And uh, I'll, be at the, I'll be outside at the end of the service. I'd love to say hi to you, hear a little bit about your story, how you found out about us, and uh, yeah, how we can serve you. Um, and uh, for those of you who are clock watchers and know that we did something that we don't normally do in our service, I just want to say, page count reflects the fact that we had a baptism today, so... <laughs> So hopefully, but we'll follow the Spirit. As the Spirit leads, we'll continue. Um, as it has been for just over 20 years, September 15th was Roberto Clemente Day in Major League Baseball. Clemente played 18 Hall of Fame-worthy seasons for the Pittsburgh Pirates before dying in a plane crash at the age of 38. In Puerto Rico, where I'm from, from Clemente is a national hero. We hear stories about Clemente almost from the time where we have ability to understand and throughout our lives. He is remembered and admired, not just in Puerto Rico or in Pittsburgh, but he's remembered all throughout the United States and even in countries around the world. There are places all over that have parks, that have stadiums, that have schools, that have awards that carry his name. Now, his baseball playing career was stellar. For only having been in the major leagues for 18 years, he did a whole lot. But the reason he's remembered as he is probably has more to do, is probably an outworking uh, of a quote he once said. He once said, anytime you have an opportunity to make a difference in this world and you don't, then you're wasting your time on earth. That drive to not waste his time, but to make a difference every time he had a chance surely came through in how he played. And if you hear stories about Clemente's playing years or you get to watch videos, you can see that there is a drive in him to do the best he can every time he's out there. But it came through most strongly off the field. Whether during uh, on-season or off-season, Clemente would often be found offering free baseball clinics to children, uh, making sure that children who were going hungry had food delivered to them. He provided funds for medical operations if they needed. He made sure that in places where kids wanted to play baseball, they had the equipment that was needed to play baseball. He encouraged and dreamed of sort of uh, sports cities, smaller than cities, but this idea that there would be places where kids of all ages could go and develop their athletic skills and build community. He used his resources and his name to raise support for and draw attention to the plight of the poor and marginalized in the United States, in the Caribbean, in Latin America, and anywhere else he was. And he did all this while dealing with the adversity that came 
uh, with being an Afro-Caribbean man in the United States in the 1950s and 60s whose primary language was not English. There was lots of adversity that came with that. When Nicaragua was devastated by a catastrophic earthquake just before Christmas in 1972, Clemente, who was in Puerto Rico enjoying the off-season and the Christmas celebration with his family, jumped right into action, organizing relief efforts and going so far as during the Christmas season knocking door to door to gather resources, to gather supplies, to gather money, to make sure that the people in Nicaragua had what they needed. When he found out that the aid packages that were being sent were being diverted by corrupt government officials, Clemente decided to get on a plane himself, to load a plane and get on it himself, because he thought that by being there, his sort of name recognition, his presence, he just wanted to make sure that the supplies got to where they needed to go. Unfortunately, that plane was the one in which he lost his life. But what was it that drove Clemente to do that? to give up some of his off-season time, to go door-to-door knocking on people's houses for a country that was far, far away? What was it that drove him to decide to get on a plane so that he could be there to make sure that the resources got to where they needed to go? What was it? Well, it was because it was an opportunity to make a difference. It was an opportunity to make a difference for good. And because it was an opportunity to make a difference for good, he was going to take it. It's what drove him in his life. It was at the center of his life. It's what was at the core. What's at the center of your life? What's at the center of my life? What drives us in our lives? Think about that for a second. As you think about what's at the center, what drives you in life, look around you. Maybe not literally, but look around in your life. Is what's at the center, is what's driving you, producing good all around you. Not just for you, but for those who you interact with. Is it helping you meet the challenges of life? Is it helping you meet the adversity? Is it helping you confront the obstacles? Is what's at the center of your life, it's what's, is what's driving your life, making you resilient? And if it's not... If it's not producing good around you, if it's not producing good in you, if it's not strengthening you to meet the obstacles, if it's not making you resilient, might it be time to consider changing what's at the center? Might it be time to consider changing what drives you? For the past few weeks, we've been talking about the kinds of things that build inner strength and develop a resilience in us in order to meet the challenges that come in life, both the challenges that we welcome, because there are challenges that we welcome in life, and the challenges that come from opposition, but also the challenges that we face uh, in our faithful commitment to God when the places that we're in or the situations that we find ourselves in don't, uh, aren't hospitable to our faith or aren't welcoming. Maybe they're antagonistic. We've been looking at the things that Scripture says are true about us as individuals, and are true about us as a community that enable us to live resilient lives. Throughout this series, we're looking to build a resilient core as part of a resilient community in order to be a resilient people for the sake of one another, but also for the sake of those around us. And today, we're going to talk about what we can have at the center of our lives what we can have as a driving force in our lives, not just as individuals, 
but as a community that enables us to be a resilient people. We're going to talk about what it means to be gospel-centered, what it means to have the good news at the center of our lives as individuals and as a community, and how that makes a difference. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's one of the letters of the New Testament. So if you get to the New Testament, you can pass uh, the first accounts of Jesus' life. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You go a little bit further in, and you'll get to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 5. If you happen to have a Bible, you can look it up. We're going to start in verse 14. And if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen in just a second. So here we go, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The picture that the scriptures paint of the Apostle Paul, who is the author of this letter, is of a driven man. Paul is a man on the go. Paul is a man who pursues things with passion. He is consistently pushing forward. But what's driving him is not the same all throughout the accounts we have of him. In fact, there is a significant change, something that was driving Paul at one point, and then something changes and something new begins to drive Paul. The Paul of the early years of his life was driven by a desire to learn, understand, embody, and defend the law. He wanted to live by it, to protect its integrity. He was well-respected among the Jewish community. He was entrusted with leadership among the Jewish community, and with fervor, He was committed to rooting out this sort of message about Jesus that was springing up in Jewish communities in the first century. He went so far as to be present when one of those who was proclaiming Jesus was stoned to death for his proclamation. But the Paul that writes this letter is a very different Paul. The Paul that writes this letter is still a driven man. He's still going after something. He's still pushing forward for something. He's still driven by something, but it's something completely different. He is living a very different life. He moves from place to place, establishing and supporting local Christian communities. He writes letters to address issues that they have, to encourage them, to spur them on. He, at the same time, is facing adversity from all over, both inside communities where people are objecting to his teachings or objecting to his character, and from outside the community. He's experienced shipwreck. He's been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been imprisoned. He's had all sorts of stuff happen to him, and yet... He keeps pressing on. He keeps moving forward. He keeps going ahead. He is still driven, but he is driven by something very different. What is he driven by? What changed? 
But what changed was that he encountered Jesus. What changed was that while he was on his way in the outworking of the thing he was driven by before, when he was driven by the law, while he was on his way to something dictated by that, he ran smack dab into Jesus. And when he encountered Jesus, his life changed. An encounter with Jesus is a life-transforming experience. An encounter with Jesus is a life-transforming experience. And when you meet people who have encountered Jesus, you hear the story of how their lives have been transformed. This week, or last week, I was on a call with someone who was talking about his passion for the church, his passion for God. And what he said was, I remember when I wasn't a Christian. I remember what that was like. And I know what my life is like now, and I want everyone to experience that. What he was articulating was that when he encountered Jesus, his life was transformed and everything changed. Everything changed. Though we had a baptism today, and we talked about this earlier, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of recapture that again. What we do in baptism is we acknowledge that change. We celebrate that change. We encourage that change. But also we model what that change can be like for all of us. If you have not encountered Jesus before, if you have not had that life-transforming experience, today can be your day. Jesus is ready to meet us any day, at any time, wherever we are. Don't let another day pass without the life-transforming experience of encountering Jesus. One of the ways that this life-transforming experience with Jesus changes Paul is it transforms what's at the center of his life. It transforms what drives him. He says it right there at the beginning. Note that he doesn't say the law of God compels us. What he says is Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. It is Christ's love that drives him. It is Christ's love that is at the center of his life. It's what gives him the inner strength. It's what gives him the resilience. It's what enabled him to make this radical shift in his life where he left behind all the security, all the sort of status, all the recognition that he had, and he embarked on something completely different. He's faced so much more adversity than he had before, and yet he's had resilience to meet the obstacles, to continue to press on. And this is not something that's meant to be just at the center of his life. He's not talking about it if it's something that it's just for him. What he says is not, for Christ's love compels me. He says, for Christ's love compels, what's that word? Us. Us. For Christ's love compels us. Paul is establishing that this is what is at the center of anyone who is committed to follow Jesus. Not just as individuals, but this is the gathering principle, the thing that is at the center of all Christian community activity and endeavor and effort. It is Christ's love that drives us. This is what at our best is meant to drive us. We could tell stories of all sorts of different things that have driven Christians throughout history, all sorts of things that they've been compelled by, all sorts of things that we've been compelled by and that have guided our actions as a community. But at our best, 
It is Christ's love that compels us. It is Christ's love that guides us. It is Christ's love that's at the center. What is it about Christ's love that is so compelling? What is it that makes it worthy of being at the center? What is it that draws us to that? What is it that enables it to build the kind of strength and resilience that enables not just Paul, but people throughout history to press through the challenges, to press through the obstacles, to press through the adversity, to meet things alongside one another and to press on? There's a few things that make Christ's love so compelling. The first thing is that Christ's love is manifest in his defeat of sin and death and in putting right what humanity had wronged. The first thing that makes Christ's love compelling, it's what it has has accomplished. Christ's love has defeated sin and death. Where humanity was unfaithful to God, Jesus remained faithful. Where humanity chose disobedience and independence from God, Jesus lived in alignment with God and God's will. Where the powers of sin and death had ruled over humanity since the first, since our ancestors had decided to step away from God, Christ broke through the chains chains that sin and death had us bound by. The life and death of resurrection and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus have brought freedom where there was only imprisonment for humanity. And Jesus was motivated by his love. The scriptures tell us that for God so loved the world. It tells us that that we see Christ's love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is God's love, it is Jesus' love that enables him to defeat sin, that enables him to defeat death, that enables him to put right what we have wronged, not just before Christ's time, but all throughout history. Jesus has paid the debt. Jesus does this because of his great love for us, and that is compelling. What else is compelling about Christ's love? It's that it makes restoration possible. Christ's love enables the things that are broken in our reality to be put back together. Humanity's relationship with God, which had been broken and continues to be strained and broken by people's disobedience of and and independence from God, is restored by Christ. Christ has made a way for you and I to be in relationship with God. And that's the relationship we were made for. It's the relationship that we long for. It's the thing that our soul aches for. The thing that it aches for. The distance that sin creates between a holy God and a creation that is never without sin is bridged through the love of Christ. It enables us to be reconciled among one another. We don't have to compete with one another for value and worth. If you were here early in the series, we talked about the different ways we can pursue our own sense of value and worth. And we talked about how all those things pale. They are not enough because the thing that gives us value and worth is God's love for us and what he says about us. We are his. God settles the issue of our value with Jesus' death and resurrection. Our value proceeds from him so we don't have to compete with one another to see who is more valuable, who is more worthy, who is more important, who deserves more. No. We also don't have to take matters into our own hands when we are wronged. We don't have to wonder 
if we, if we don't take revenge or if we don't sort of respond to the wrongs that we received in a particular way, if we don't hit back, we don't have to wonder if that makes us pushovers or if that means we're going to be taken advantage of. We don't have to wonder if the scores have been settled because God balances the scales. God balances the scales and God offers forgiveness not just to us when we've wronged, he offers forgiveness to those who have wronged us as well. And God settles the tab. We are all equal in our being loved by God. And those things open a path towards restoration of relationships between us and others. Lastly, the love of Christ enables us to, be, uh, to have our, our relationship with our world to be restored. When we were created as a humanity, we were in relationship with our world. We were told to steward what was given to us, to be fruitful and multiply. We were told to be healthy in our relationship of stewarding what was given to us rather than pursue depletion and mismanagement of resources. What Christ has done enables us to be in right relationship again. It restores everything. That love is compelling. Christ's love enables us to be made new. Be made new. You are more than the sum of the things that have brought you to this day. For those of us who have checkered paths, who have fractured histories, who have things that we carry with us that we think will stain us until the very last day, the love of Christ enables us to be made new. That is a freeing message, it is a liberating message. Christ's love breathed life in the places where there is death, in the places where we think things have settled and this is how they're always going to be. Christ's love breathes something new, enables newness to come. It gives us access to life, of the, to life in the Spirit and an ongoing process of leaving behind the things that no longer conform to Christ's will and Christ's love and embracing the things that enables us, enable us to be the people God made us to be. It frees us to hope in ways that we couldn't hope before. Most importantly, it frees us to have the hope in the resurrection, that there is a life eternal, where there is no more pain, no more tears, no more injustice, no more sickness, no more death, no more suffering. We have hope. We are freed with this new hope. A love that is able to do all that is a compelling love. All of that is what we're talking about when we talk about the gospel, the good news. All of that is good news because it was not true for humanity before Christ. Before Christ demonstrated his love, before the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what gospel means, good news. What Christ's love does is good news for you for me and for the world, and it is compelling. It's the kind of thing worth putting at the center of our lives, not just as individuals, but as a community. It is the kind of thing that transforms. It's the kind of thing that alters the course of our lives. Christ's love isn't just something that we read about. Christ's love is something that we can see and hear. 
we can see and hear its effect on people's lives. And because we can see and hear its effect on people's lives, it is compelling. I knew someone a number of years ago whose past was a checkered past. By the time he was in his mid-20s, he had already been married and divorced It was a fractured marriage, a fraught marriage. He had started and lost businesses. He had shady business practices. He had had encounters with law enforcement that were not pleasant ones. He had a reputation. His relationship with his family, with his parents and his siblings was fraught and fractured. And then he encountered Jesus. Then he encountered Jesus. And his life was transformed by God's love. He felt God's love for him, and he found it so compelling that it changed his whole life. By the time I had met him, the relationships that had been fractured were either on their way to being restored or were restored. By the time I met him, his business practices were all above board, and he was sort of branching out in generosity to help other businesses as well. He would consult. He would give his services wherever he could. He exuded joy, and he overflowed in sharing the story of what Christ's Christ's love had done in him, for him, and what it was doing through him. He was a completely different person. He integrated into community. Now, there were lots of challenges along the way, lots of rough edges, Lots of mistakes, lots of restarts, lots of sort of rebuilds, but he pressed on. He never gave up because the love of Christ never stopped being compelling. Because the power of the love of Christ never ceased. Jesus was at the center. It was driving him. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Is the love of Christ the thing that is driving you? Now, when we, when we know, when we experience such a compelling love, how do we respond? What does it look like practically to have the gospel at the center of our lives, not just as individuals, but as a community? Well, there are a few ways. Some of them are in the passage. The first one in particular, I'm going to bring from outside the passage. The first is uh, we encounter and embrace the love of Christ, and we receive the gospel. You can't be compelled by the love of Christ in your life until you encounter it and receive it you got to encounter it and receive it. So I'll say it again. If you've never encountered and received the love of God and you're hearing about this love and it sounds compelling and you're imagining what a life compelled and driven by the love of Christ could be like, it is here for you. Receive it. Let yourself be transformed by it. What does it look like to have a life that is compelled by the love of Christ that has the gospel at the center? It's a life that is aligned to Christ. Practically, we live for Jesus. Paul invites us to live for the one who died and was raised again. To live for him. Have the gospel be the center of your life. Let it be the driving force. When you take stock of your life and you look at sort of the big picture decisions, the major functions or the major areas of your life, see if you can see the fingerprints of the gospel in them. See if it's the thing that motivates how you live. See if it's the thing that motivates how you decide, how you spend your time, your energy, your resources, your attention. Be compelled by the love of Christ. Live for Jesus. We represent Christ wherever we are. The passage calls us to be ambassadors. What is an ambassador but not a representative, if not a representative, of the person for whom they are an ambassador for? 
the person or the entity. The passage calls us to be ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Think about this. The way Paul envisions this is he sees communities of Jesus followers. He sees individuals who are Jesus followers and everywhere they are, it's as if God were making his appeal to the world through them. As if God were making his appeal through the world to them. An ambassador is part of a diplomatic community, an embassy. It is an enclave of the nation. It represents wherever it is. They represent their leader wherever they go. Do we represent our leader wherever we are, wherever we go? I don't always live as if God were making his appeal through me. If you were to put me in every situation that I'm in and you were to ask the people around, does it seem like God is making an appeal through this person? The answer would be no. So I free you from any shame about the fact that we don't always hit the mark. I know we don't. I don't. None of us do. The question is, what part of where that is failing am I going to attend to next? Is it, being, is it becoming more clear the longer I follow Jesus that God is making his appeal through me? Am I representing Christ authentically and genuinely in every interaction in greater ways? The older I get, the more time passes. There is no plateau for us as followers of Jesus. We continue in our drive towards Christ-likeness, towards being conformed to the image of Christ throughout our whole lives. So whether you've been on this journey for one day or you've been on this journey for thousands of days, what is the next area of your life to attend to? So that wherever you are, it will be clear that God is making his appeal through you to those around you. When we live out the gospel at the centers, we view others as Christ views them. When Christ looks at the world, when Christ looks at people, he sees them as beloved. He sees them as beloved because he loves them. Do we see people in that way? He often sees them as people who are in need of compassion. Many times he sees them as people who are in need of reconciliation because he can see the places that are broken. Is it time for maybe some of us to change the lens through which we look at people and view them as Christ does. Paul talks about how he doesn't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. I long for the day when that's true of me. He calls us to be agents of reconciliation. We have been called to be ministers of reconciliation. That's what the passage in 2 Corinthians says. Ministers of reconciliation. People who serve reconciliation wherever we go. We dish out reconciliation wherever we go. We bring with us reconciliation wherever we go. It tells us to implore people to be reconciled to God, to be reconciled. What's the best way to implore people to be reconciled if not to model it in our own lives? Are there places in need of reconciliation in your life? When you step into it, are you modeling it? Are you modeling it? We are part of this community. We are a gospel-centered community, or at least we strive to be a gospel-centered community. And one of the ways I've seen it be true just in the last uh, three months is in the last three months, I've had a number of interactions 
that have come on the sort of other side of hard interactions, like places where people have hurt each other's feelings, where people have been misunderstood, where actions have been taken mostly unintentionally that have hurt other people. And on the other side of that, I've seen people from our community come together and say things like, yes, this hurt me, but I know that you are a person of integrity. I know that you're a person who loves God, so I'm here. I know that you have good intentions in your heart, so I'm here. I don't like that this barrier has been created between us. It feels like things are funky or wonky. I can't remember exactly what word they use. Can we figure out how to put things right between us? And time and time again, those conversations have ended with hugs, with tears, with prayers, with celebration, and with relief. I'm not saying we do it perfectly. I can tell stories of relationships in our community that remain fractured long, far longer than they ought to have. But these last three months, I've seen a number of places where we've modeled what it means to be uh, people of reconciliation. And that's part of what it looks like to be a gospel-centered community. And listen, folks, that builds resilience. Why? Because if you interact with people with any length of time, you know it's going to be messy at some point. Why stay in relationship if you know it's going to get messy? You stay in relationship if you know it's going to be messy, if you know that there's hope for reconciliation. If you know that there's an opportunity to rebuild. And we can know that. We can believe that. We can embrace that because it's fruit of Christ's love. When Christ's love is compelling us, it builds resilience in us for kinds of relationships. For relationships, because we know reconciliation is possible. We know, we, we know fracturing is inevitable, but we know reconciliation is possible, and that keeps us in the game. That keeps us in the game. How might, have the gospel, how might having the gospel at the center of your life, of our life, need to play out this week? How might you need to let Christ's love compel you? Maybe it's reconciliation. Maybe it's something else. I'm going to pray now. The worship team is going to join me uh, here as I pray. As I pray, I want you to invite God to assess the center of your life. And in whatever ways, it is not entirely the gospel to sort of push that out. I want to invite you to embrace what it looks like to be more fully driven, more fully guided, more fully centered with the gospel. Would you do that? Let me pray. Jesus, your love is so powerful. Your love is so amazing. Your love does so much, God. Your love has broken the chains of sin and death. Your love has put right what we have made wrong. Your love has granted forgiveness. Your love has enabled reconciliation. Your love has given us hope for restoration where things seem irreparably broken. Your love compels us. Your good news that there is life, that we are new, compels us. Lord, search my heart. Search what's at the center of my life. Search what is driving me. Root out whatever is not of you. Root it out in my sisters and brothers. Lord, I confess that 
more than likely, if you were to see a picture of what's at the center of my life, the gospel might not cover all the area. But I want it to cover more in this coming week. Show me what that looks like. Lord, I pray on behalf of my sisters and brothers,